Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picturehouse podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. And on today's episode, this is a bonus episode, as we like to drop in between our main monthly review shows, we are delighted to be joined by the director of the independent, see what I did there, independent British film, Pretty Red Dress. We are talking to Dion Edwards, and the interview is conducted by our very own Ogo Ajoy, who you may have actually heard a little snippet of. We just put a little snippet of this interview to whet the appetite in our main June episode of the show. So please listen to the episode. It's got reviews of, of Pretty Red Dress. But for the full interview, we, we were so lucky to have a really generous amount of time uh, with Dion Edwards to talk about Pretty Red Dress and, and so many, many other things sort of around the film, cultural uh, and, and such and filmmaking, of course. We wanted to put the whole thing out as a special interview, which is what you're about to listen to now. So the interview is conducted by Ogo Ajoy, and you'll be hearing Dion Edwards, director of Pretty Red Dress, talk about making the film. The film is out in UK cinemas on the 16th of June, and I highly, highly recommend seeking it out. It's a beautiful piece of filmmaking. Let's go to Ogo and Dion. Nice to meet you. This nice feels very like surreal. I feel a bit starstruck. <laughs> like you, I'm meeting the person that literally just made this film that I watched <laughs> over the weekend. Like, yeah. how do you feel? It's kind of a bit, yeah, surreal. Yeah, it doesn't feel real that this is coming out. It's mm. been such a long journey. It's been like, I mean, it was the end of 2013 that I was like messing about with the idea. And then, yeah, like sort of went for a whole journey of development and then COVID shutting us down and all of that. And then finally we've got this release this year. I'm just like, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until like the trailer came out that I was like, this Whoa. feels real. Yeah. Even though we screened it to audiences and stuff. So yeah. It's great. Yeah. You've just told me how, you know, it didn't feel real until you watched the trailer, until it dropped. And then, of course, it was screened at the film festival. What's the best reaction you've gotten from it so far? Watching it with an audience for the first time that wasn't our cast and crew was a ride. Mm. I am not a huge fan of watching the stuff with an audience, even though I'd kind of design it for an audience because it's stressful. Um, Why is it and, stressful? Oh, it's just because there's all the things of like... There's that saying of like, you always abandon a film, you never really finish it. And so, and then there's like, you can see compromises and you can see all the things that you wish you could do. But we landed on a film like that I am really proud of. And we kind of got to the end of it. I'm like, this is the best we can do. So you sit there and you, but you always see those little things, I think, well, I do anyway. And then you sit there with an audience, which I think pushes the adrenaline mm. up anyway. Mm. And then you combine the two of them. And just even when the audience is reacting really well and responding, which they did with this on the two screenings that I went to. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, something that stresses me out. But then I guess as audience members, they're not gonna know what I guess you think were mi was missing. Yeah, Cause yeah, yeah. I do the same, like obviously when I do interviews, I'm like, oh, I should have asked this, should have asked that. But to the viewers watching, they're just consuming the great content. That's a good point. So they're never gonna know yeah, like yeah. what was missing. Exactly. And what was your why behind it? Like getting it from script to screen, like what was the why? Like, why this film? Why, why this story? Um, I think I was searching for, my, like, the first feature idea. Like, I played around with a lot of different things. I usually get, it's either a kind of feeling or a mood or a character. And for me, the character came first, Travis. And I just enjoyed, like, exploring things with him and unpacking stuff for him. And I just thought it'd be really interesting if you had this character that, you know, almost feels archetypal. You, you kind of start out with a black man coming out of prison, right? And you kind of think it's going to be, 
you know, your standard kind of British hood film. They're not really standard to me. I actually really enjoy them. You know, I think I enjoy the series Top Boy. I was involved in, in it as well in the third season of it. And Bullet Boy and, you know, Ill Manners and all those kind of early 2000s, like, British gang films and stuff. And that that's, those have been the kind of primary black British films. And I just enjoyed, like, taking this character that I kind of thought up and delved into my imagination with, but then also looked at the form of some of these films and played around a little bit. And yeah, that's that's how it happened. I was just thinking about those and thinking about how the character and his family would fit in within that genre. And then I kind of pulled from other films that I love as well. I love how you talked about black British films because I was going to do like this whole section on black cinema yeah. because I love those types of films as well. Mm-hmm. Like obviously like series like Top Boy, mm-hmm. Rye Lane, I don't know if you checked out Rye Lane, Lane yeah, and Boxing that, Day. That I think black ago. British cinema is evolving and yeah. changing. And I was recently at a talk um, with Ratman because he's got Sick. a series coming out, yeah, Supercell. Yeah. And very excited for it, right? Yeah, I can't yeah, wait. Yeah. Um, but he was saying how the reason why he wanted to make it, or partly why, is because, and why he wanted to make it different, um, is because he would see like British cinema, and he was like, it has a look. It's kind of different to what, like he'd go over to the states, switch on the TV, and see, mm. you know, TV. He goes, British cinema is is different. And he wanted mm. to wanted it to look, I guess like the Western, uh, like American TV, or mm-hmm, just look better. Mm-hmm. So do you agree that British cinema has a certain look? Like, how, how mm. would you, how would you, what do you think about that? That's interesting. I mean, some of it is just down to budget. <laughs> we don't have the same types of budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's like a, there's often, especially like dramas. I mean, he his is, it's a superhero series, right? Yeah, it's a right? superhero so, series, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's budget. Like, that's one of the main things. And then America is just sort of within a tradition of like, superhero stuff and fantasy and so they elevate it to another level but I do think like Britain's got this like kitchen sink thing going on Mm. of like especially it's low budget or indie films if you like they 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 like to be a little bit raw and I think sometimes filmmakers kind of approach it in this very like Ken Loach way or you know just just you know quite raw quite stark kind of lets you know kind of push the grit in them. And for me with Pretty Red Dress, I was thinking about the grit, but also the glamour, which mm. is like I say, and I've been, you know, my producer Georgia like came out, came up with it, I think. And like, I really loved it. And yeah, it's just like embracing the grit and the glamour. And I'd say that, yeah, I enjoy Kitchen Sink, you know, or British independent films. And I think there is a place for it, but also it's really fun when you can elevate something. And I think that's probably what Ratman was touching on that, you know, Cinema's like a canvas, right? It's a screen. You can kind of do what you want. And sometimes people want to come in and see themselves on screen, but there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And mm. you can kind of view it like you're a painter and you can use colour, you can use sound, you can use movement, like rhythm and cutting to, you know, really immerse people. And I think, yeah, that's probably what I think what he was touching on. And I agree as well. That's the, the kind, those are the kind of films that I love. Like I love Do the Right Thing, for example, yeah. you know, Spike Lee, like, that's taking something that is just kind of an ordinary neighbourhood. Well, it's not ordinary, you know, a big thing happens, but like it's a neighbourhood story. It's set in the streets, but it's just like wonderfully like elevated. Yeah. Yeah. I think when as a black person, like consuming black films and movies and TV, I think when I see myself in it, that's when I'm like immersed, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like seeing this movie and just seeing how Kanisha was at school, I was like, oh my God, this was how it was when I was at school. Like this is how the kids would talk. You have those pretty girls who, yes, are always like just, you think they're your friends, they're not, you know? (laughs) Yeah, like I think it's so important. It goes back to representation. Mm -hmm. And um, Natie Jones, he killed 
nailed it as Travis. Yes, How did. did you find him and what was it like working with him and was it collaborative, you know, your relationship on mm -hmm. set? Yeah, Natey Jones, absolutely amazing. He sort of came to this very last minute in the casting process for us because we were, I tell this story a lot, but we were sort of on the edge. We were kind of thinking that maybe we should give up because really? we were getting close to pre-production and we just really weren't finding that person. We did big casting sessions. We were trying going through a lot of different actors and some of them were really good with like the sort of hood side of things, like just, you know, the tough guy side. Some of them were, were really comfortable with expressing their feminine side and, you know, approaching all that, that, that side of themselves. And like, there just weren't, there wasn't really that kind of middle thing or hitting on both of them, you know. It's always hard to cast an actor anyway for a role because you've got this idea in your head and then, you know, someone's got to fit into that. And you want an actor who's going to take fit into it but also kind of transcend it and take it to the next level. And Natey sent in a tape and, like, his first tape, I, I, I remember watching and I wasn't sure and I think it's because we were just going through so many people and really not finding it and there was a lot of stress around it. Um, and I wasn't sure about it but Georgia, um, the producer, was like, no, 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 look at it again, look at it again. And I, every time I looked at that same tape, it was like, ah, this is really, really interesting. And then he did his second one and it was just like blew, like blew me away. And yeah, when I met him in person, I was just like, okay, this is the character. And he is just brave and I think mm -hmm. able to like go for things. Yeah. Um, and he's able to tap into like uh, mysteriousness. He does a lot with a little, you know what I mean, with his face. And there's so many scenes where he's just wonderful. He's not really saying much, you know. He's not like the Candice character who's just like, you know, Alexandra Burke plays her amazingly, but she's like loud and, you know, not afraid to speak her mind. He, in many ways, is afraid to speak his mind. And I think Nate did such an amazing job with just using silence and stillness in many ways but then also he's like from the theater so he's kind of if you watch the beginning of the film and the way the character walks to the end you see that kind of physical evolution as well so i think coming from the stage that kind of brought this amazing like physicality to the character as well so he really like embodies all of those things and we just yeah i'm just yeah i don't know how it happened but i'm just nah he's <sighs> sick so lucky <laughs> he's yeah. sick i can't yeah. wait to see him do this I really hope Go so because and up and, and this people aren't ready. World. He's yeah. just amazing. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia. Proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia. Movement that inspires. What was it like to work with Alexandra? What was it like to work with Alexandra? Alexandra's amazing. I mean, I was just I speaking to her just now. And like, <laughs> she's just, she is just an incredible like human being. Just off the bat, her personality, she's just so captivating. She's really, you know, one of the things with Candice is like, we, we wanted the character to kind of make you feel like you're the only person in the room and like Alexandra has this amazing ability to do that she's just so good and she kind of has this extroverted personality but also she's very like open and vulnerable she's always like I'm anxious or I'm this or I'm that and she's unafraid to do that and on set she was just so unafraid to like go for things and risk looking silly with things and you know at some points I'd be like oh we got to tone this down Alex and she'd just laugh her head off she was just really really went for things 
and even in the parts where she had to be still and you know more kind of silent and together I think she just did this incredible job and yeah of course the fact that she's an amazing singer and you know she's just she's just a star and it was it was amazing for the character because that's what we were looking for someone who was like a kind of star in this neighborhood who hadn't ever really gotten to make it so Mm -hmm. And it was also interesting that she, you know, was on X Factor. So it was like, you know, she won and everything. And like, she had a different journey to the character. But the backstory of the character was that she was on X Factor. Mm. So, yeah. There's a lot of themes to unpick within this movie. And I Mm -hmm. want to talk through some of them. But before you tell Mm -hmm. me and tell us what they were, these were some that I picked out. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, toxic masculinity, hustle culture, black parenting and conformity. But I want to hear the themes that you that are in this film, then we'll discuss. Okay, okay. Hustle culture. Yeah. Wow. All right, all right. Yeah, I always say that I, I don't really approach the actual kind of the writing and the, the period of kind of creating in terms like thematically. But I think when I look back at it and I think about it, I, you know, even though a lot of it isn't conscious, I can you can see you can see things, you can see patterns, um, and I also love hearing other people's like interpretations. Mm. But definitely like family, I think family and sexuality and kind of fear and anxiety. These are like the feelings that I was. They're themes, but some of them I'm describing also feelings. And those are the things that I was able to sort of be guided by when I was like coming up with the characters or thinking about even just the kind of technical elements of the film. It was all guided by feeling, you know, even with like music and stuff. Yeah, like I said, I tried not to let politics find its way in there consciously because I felt like that would affect, you know, what I'm trying to do with the characters and everything. But certainly, you know, you, you sometimes can't help but make something political. But um, there definitely wasn't an agenda there when mm. I started out. I was just interested in the characters and the situations. And as I was saying, like, looking at some of the work that's come out in cinema and stuff and thinking about how we can kind of add to that in a mm. way. You know how I just mentioned toxic masculinity? Mm. Would you say that is a theme or is that the right word to say? Or it's just more so mm. masculinity within like the black community and how that's perceived? Because like I said, like growing up, as a black person, yeah, like yeah. I know how you know some boys think, yeah. and even that like, little things like don't wear pink, like that's gay. Like, yeah. do you know how much yeah. that irritates me? So it's like, yeah, like th- those themes that I felt that like, were in definitely, in, in yeah, no masculinity. I mean, toxic masculinity. I think is a, is is interesting. I'm not. I'm still settling on what I think of that. So mm. like a combination of words, because I think it's just been passed around so much that I think mm. the meaning of it has got a little lost bit lost. Um, but I under I understand. I understand it. I think masculinity and femininity, because I think femininity often gets lost in conversations. I was looking at the elements of masculinity and femininity that are in ourselves and you can, okay, if you want to call some parts of it toxic, that it can definitely be pushed to a certain area. And there's also elements of it that need to be celebrated. And I think what I was looking at is like, a lot of us don't get to express sides of ourselves, right? We we kind of, we're kind of often told, this is who you are. Oh, you're a man. You know, I grew up around boys. And like, I definitely have seen some of the shaping and the conditioning that's like come from that or being in school and 
you said about don't wear pink. Like I remember when I was working in a cinema and a young black boy wanted a frozen poster. His dad was like, no, no, you can't have that. Like, you know. Is this recent? It was, it was like about, I think it was about like eight years ago. So it's like a while back. But it's just little things like Like that. that. Like there's a lot of signaling and there's a lot of details. And from childhood, we're conditioned to think that this is the way we have to behave. And then what we start to do is just take that on and police ourselves. And I think that's the thing with Travis. It's kind of almost gone beyond his neighbourhood, his family, his friends. He started to just completely imprison himself. And so, like, the theme of prison was really important in this because, you know, you start out with him coming out of prison, right? And there's this kind of symbol in it, which I'm trying to work with, which there's a mental prison going on as well. And that's really what this is about. Not necessarily him coming out of this prison because of drugs and stuff, but it's he's coming out of his own mental prison, if that makes sense. So there was that, but then there was also celebrations of it, right? Kanisha embraces her masculinity. And that's the thing that she sees in her father that she looks up to. And at times, maybe she's looking up to the wrong sides of it, but it's sort of about her kind of finding that and finding her comfort with that. Then you've got someone like Candice who... You know, on the surface, you could say, like, she's kind of classic femininity. You know, she has kind of pinup girl elements or, like, you know, her heroes are, like, someone like Tina Turner. But I think there's also elements of her kind of character that you could say, you know, is playing with the masculine as well. And for me, it's just, like, we're born of of both and so much more and we can be so much more, I guess. So Mm. it wasn't necessarily meant to be a critique, but it Mm. was, I guess, an exploration. I think... Hearing you obviously give your take and obviously watching the film, like I just was, yeah, like I guess for me, now I think I have a now renewed like sense of it. It's like film is about expression. Yeah. And it's almost like you should be allowed to express who you are because right. obviously we see Travis expressing who he is. Yeah, like we should just all be allowed to express like what exactly. is wrong with feeling? Like why can we not express however we want to mm. and not have to it be labeled like one way or another, right or wrong? And exactly. Yeah, like that's like, that's so beautiful the way you've portrayed that. I've oh, just thank you. had like a little like euphoric <laughs> moment, like wow. Speaking of Kanisha and um, Travis, I love the scene when she was finally embracing who she was. Mm -hmm. And for me, the reason why I put um, black parenting is because I think within our society, Mm -hmm. things are so taboo to say Mm -hmm. I'm this or I'm that. Mm -hmm. And to have that moment where they kind of just, yeah, like this is who I am, I accepted you for you. I just thought that was beautiful. So do you want to maybe talk about that, the parental relationships and building that on screen? Because not all of us come from accepting, you know, families. yeah. Yeah. It's weird because I was thinking about what you were just saying then and I think sometimes we we have these kind of two very conflicting things, right? We, we, we're kind of tribal humans, right? Humans are kind of tribal creatures, right? We need, we, we're influenced by people no matter what we say, but yet we're extremely individual and we're kind of, a lot of us kind of hide a lot of those parts of ourselves because of we're, we're worried about being judged by the tribe, the community, you know, society at large. And for me, I just find in writing that scene, and I guess I wasn't necessarily consciously doing it, but I think there is just something beautiful about once you are getting to a part of yourself, once you're allowing yourself to accept your own self, then it's going to come from other people as well, to some degree. I mean, not always, you know, we have family who just will never, mm. like some, some family members will never accept that. But it was really important for them to go through it on their own first and then to come together and say, you know what, like, you know, this is who we are, mm. you know, to some degree. I don't know if that answers your question, but mm. like parenting, I mean, it's... It's difficult because the Travis and Candice characters, they're young parents, like they had 
Kanisha when I, I think they were 19 or 20. I don't know if you saw it in the film, because some people are saying, you know, they almost look like siblings in ways, but, you know, they're young parents and they're, they're trying to figure out a lot themselves. And for me, it was like, that was a really important aspect as well, you know, because it's, the parents are, are kind of going on their journey as well. And sometimes we forget that. Speaking about having a message, there was one line and it's at the end and it's when Travis speaks to these group of boys and for me, like, if to any black boys listening or to watching, like, I really hope they take this message and just let it plant a seed and let that just resonate within them. He was like, you're all playing. <laughs> because, yeah, I think sometimes a lot of us and not just, I guess everyone, like, we've, we're doing these things, we're dressing a certain way, we're talking a certain way, mm -hmm. we're liking certain things, certain music, certain artists, because other people, because that's just what we have to do. And I think a lot of, I don't want to generalise, but I think some black youth, like, this isn't who they are. Like, they mm -hmm. are just doing it because mm -hmm. their friends are doing it, because they see that they have to on social media. So, yeah, when he was like, you're all playing, like, I, I hope that plants a seed for some, mm -hmm. like, young black men or black women, and just mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. in general, really, to so mm -hmm. just realise, mm -hmm. like, I don't have to, I can take off the mask. Like, who yeah. am I? You yeah. know? Like, what do I actually want to do? What question, do I actually yeah. want to explore with my life? Like, Nothing is too white, nothing is gay, like nothing is all of these labels that mm, we put on. Like, mm. yeah, so I just, I, I love that. That scene was so empowering. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Nate did an amazing job with that. And that was a difficult one to shoot because we had all elaborate plans of how it was going to play out. And without revealing too much, something big happens in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, Nate has to kind of lose, lose control with his character. And when we shot that, we only had like, about four minutes to, to shoot it and he just you can see the rush and the need for him to kind of finally spill everything out and uh yeah it was just absolutely amazing but yeah it's really nice that you kind of caught onto that yeah, role playing because yeah it's it's a dance that everyone is doing and as you said like if you sit back and think about it like you can you can not do it as well and mm going back to what I'm saying about us being social beings and you know kind of almost like scientifically we have a need to kind of follow babies learn from their parents right we're very like spongy we want to take in everything so we've evolved to do that but also we have this ability as humans to go beyond that you know and also kind of figure out who we really are and I think yeah, if it helps people in some way, then, then that's that's great. I was reading some reviews online, and did you uh -oh. take any inspirational at all from Kinky Boots? I have to say, honestly, I've never seen it. <laughs> I have never seen it too. I'm so glad you said that, because I was like, I've never seen this. I think I know the reviews talking about it. Yeah, I've never seen it. People were talking about it when we were making it. I think I've like seen a picture of Shawatel, like in it but I've never never seen it so mm. yeah I don't know have you seen it no never okay. like I was like I've never seen this movie <laughs> but it did get adapted um from a film to musical right and would you ever want something like this to go from film to musical and I asked because speaking of that raw essence that we saw in Nazi like something like that on the theatre do yeah. you think that would work and obviously Alexandra could like she's been on West End it's, before like she, she's, she's on stuff. yeah she's been she's been killing it on the West End both of them have like it's I like have been asked this question before and I've never really thought about it like that and it's a really interesting question um but I thought I invented the Tina Turner musical because you know obviously it's like 2014 that I'm like writing this <laughs> yeah. and I thought oh yeah we've got this Tina Turner musical and we're gonna make it so that's quite funny and interesting but yeah I'd love to see it on the stage. That I think that would be amazing. On the West yeah. End. Let's make that songs. happen. This let's, is a pitch let's make it happen. right now. <laughs> um, we've got three more minutes left. And before I wrap, um, obviously oh, we thanks. are a cinema podcast. And I've got to ask you, um, 
obviously COVID has taken hit and the film industry has changed. Cinema habits have changed as well. Mm -hmm. So do you go to the cinema much yourself? Mm -hmm. I have to ask you. I do. Like I try to as much as I can. I watch Bo is Afraid on Friday night. Okay, how was <laughs> you know, that? The I've new seen the film. Yes. I really loved it. But I could, yeah, it's, it's, I loved it. I loved like going on this bonkers journey. But I really related to, I think, what was at the front of it, which was this deep anxiety. I don't know if you know anything about it. No, uh, yeah, I've just it's seen just, the posters. Okay, I won't reveal too much, but like, yeah, it's just this kind of bonkers, almost like Wizard of Ozzy style, like nightmare, but nightmare. Yeah, it's it brilliant. But yeah, I try, I try to go to the cinema still. It's, I'm hoping that audiences will come back to it a little bit, but it's difficult. We're like competing with streaming. I mean, certainly like the way I approach films, like whether or not we never knew if it was going to get like a proper cinematic release. And we're really like lucky to be in this position, but I designed this to like see with, like to see it with audiences and for no matter how stressful it is for me, like to, to go on a big screen and like, it's a small, it's an independent film. Like we don't have a lot of resources, but I wanted us to do, use everything we could to make it feel, you know, completely like engrossing and big and elevated. Had you known it was going straight to streaming, would it have changed your right? Like how would you have changed it if I might, it was out of interest? I might, oh, like writing it? Yeah, like um, designing it and creating these stories, like. Well, I think I try to just see everything as if it's going to be on a big screen mm. because I think that's the way you can elevate it and like thinking about it in on a much smaller level or a much more micro level to me like limits it in a way. So even when I do TV shows, like I do was like I'm fr I like sort of learn from like studying cinema and stuff. So I try to kind of bring that in as much as I can. That's interesting you say that because yes, things a lot of things go straight to streaming now, but. I feel like they've got cinematic elements, which is they why have. people are binging these shows. Well, that's know? the thing. I mean, it's a place now where it's a lot, lot easier for filmmakers to survive because right now, like independent film, especially in the UK, I mean, it's like it's hard to make a living from that. So you're getting a lot of like the independent filmmakers or, you know, just filmmakers as a whole, even like Scorsese is like going into, he's directed some TV stuff. I'm not surprised that it's now, everything's getting a lot more cinematic. It's very much like crossing over. Mm, the overlap between the two. There is an overlap, yeah. But cinema forever for life. Nothing compares, <laughs> like seeing it on the big screen, like I'm cinema for life. Exactly. But you watched this on the on your laptop, on laptop, which hopefully it felt like a, <laughs> hopefully it felt like a, an elevated experience. No, no, I'm going to watch it in cinemas because obviously to see oh. when Alexandra was performing those Tina Turner scenes, I was yeah. like, I see that big screen. <laughs> and when the two are going that way, like Travis and Candy's, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. see it on the big screen. I see it on the big screen. But before we wrap, um, if you could just summarise, like why should people see Pretty Red Dress in cinemas? Why should people see Pretty Red Dress? Well, whether or not you like the film or you could really dislike it, who no, knows? No, people going to love it. <laughs> I think that it is a ride and I think that it's, you know, it takes you on a, a full on journey and it gives you music and it gives you, it takes you on this real journey where you're going to see here everything you possibly can, everything from intimacy to fighting to performing. It sort of hopefully like pulls you through a lot of different experiences and, you know, you could, even if you dislike it, you're going to be, you know, interested, I think, enough. But primarily, I think you've got three amazing characters and actors who hopefully you can relate to no matter who you are, because primarily I think the emotions are driving it. And yeah, hopefully that feels quite universal for everyone. 
I can assure you, people are going to love That's it. So <laughs> and they really are. Dion Edwards, thank you so, so, so thank much. You. Thank that you. That was really fun.